0: This week on Dig Me Out. With
1: your hosts, Jason Ziak
2: and Tim
1: Minichi.
2: Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our DMO union on Patreon, you can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at DMOUnion.com or DigMeOutUnion.com Jay, speaking of the union, we often speak of the union. We're speaking of it again. Yes, yes. What'd yeah, they we, do? We, well, they, they produced us a an album via one person. This is not a poll episode where we take a bunch of episodes or take a bunch of uh, suggestions that come into digmeoutpodcast.com and, and throw in a poll and our patrons vote on it. This is an individual patron selecting this record. She's been here before. She's back again. Last time, was it fastball last time, Marissa?
0: Yes, it was. I believe it was.
2: That's right. Wow. Was that a year? That's that crazy. A year ago.
0: Yeah. Wow. I remember doing that. That's nuts.
2: I thought that was like, I thought that was just the spring. <laughs> nope. Oh my goodness. Welcome back, Marissa Uh You have been here before multiple times and uh, you've brought us a number of records. You've been on some round tables and I think you joined us for our 500th with the uh, Nirvana. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that was quite a party.
2: We had, that was the big jam. We're going to, I mean, I can't even imagine what we're going to do for 1000, mostly because I can't believe that we'll still be going. And I'm pretty sure that uh, the, the internet will have shut down by then. But tell everyone for this pick of yours, what is it and why'd you pick it?
0: Oh, man. Uh, So I feel like I've selected like a Patrick Testatier annual pick, you know, aspiring to his level of of weirdness and and openness and expertise. Um, This is Exile on Cold Harbor Lane by the Alabama Three. They are not from Alabama. They are from Brixton, which is in the south of London, England. And there are not three of them. There are more like nine to 12 of them, uh, depending on the circumstance. So
2: this whole thing is a lie. That's what you're telling us.
0: (laughs) Yes, um, it, it, there, there's a sort of a lot of smoke and mirrors to, to the name of the band. But um, I, I picked them because, to me, they are making the most mind-blowing, hilarious, wacky, yet profound synthesis of sweet, pretty country, acid house, gospel music with a healthy dash of rock and roll. in there are in my top five bands of all time. And this record is in, I think, probably my top ten.
2: Okay. How did you stumble upon them?
0: Um, well, I first got really into them, I want to say, maybe five or six years ago. Uh, okay. And, and on my first pass, it didn't click. I was probably in middle or high school when I first investigated the album um, be- because of The Sopranos. And I, I was not at the taste juncture yet in my development where I understood what I was listening to. Um, but then it wound up at some point back on my radar when I was in my late 20s. And at that point, it was instant. I just uh, latched on immediately, felt the earth move. Um, and that has happened. Uh, the amount of times that has happened, I can count on one hand, like The Who, The Twilight Singer, Soul Wax, and The Alabama Three. So I think it was I was just waiting, waiting for the right time in my life to comprehend what it was that they were doing and uh, fall in love with it.
2: Okay, so you mentioned Sopranos. Get this out of the way. The track uh, woke up this morning was the theme song for the Sopranos. Are they it was slightly remixed from what was on the album uh, for the for the actual theme song, but it's essentially ballpark the same song. Um,
0: yes, it's um, that, and that song is I'm pretty sure the only song that has like any modicum of recognition in the United States, because the Alabama Three are very much a cult band, even in their native England. Um, And the version that appears on the record is longer. It uh, includes a spoken word intro and a spoken word um, outro that sort of concludes the song. Um, And I really do insist that people listen to the album recording as much as I enjoy the remix. I think that there's, there's something tremendous about those spoken word components. They say so much about what the band is and what the record is about and and interestingly that song content wise at least uh it's about a woman who gets fed up with her husband's physical abuse and she decides to kill him so like nothing to do you know with with italian mobsters from new jersey who are trying to uh, (laughs) maintain a criminal empire raise their families and go to therapy um but it is a great fit for the show it has this like sinister kind of dread this cool groove to it that suits the mood of the series and and it is iconic i can't imagine like any other song for that opening
2: no it, it, when you watch the show and it, it it's very time and place specific but because of that show taking place you know right at the turn of the century you know, it's not a it's not a historical show. It's it's taking place in what would what would have then been modern time New Jersey. Um, it feels like the synthesis of like what was happening in music, because part of the fun of that show is looking at AJ's uh, bedroom and. All of the bands that are listed on on concert posters and stuff um so like music was clearly like important to that show in a lot of different ways. And obviously the end of the show is, has a huge, um, needle drop as well that people know about. Oh yeah. But, um, so the fact that they pick such an obscure, you know, band that like, it, it's the vibe that totally fits the, the sound, sound of that show, as opposed to, like you mentioned, the lyrics, um, yeah,
0: so. I, I definitely agree with you there. It, it's um, it, it's it's a total vibe match.
2: Jay, I know you didn't watch The Sopranos, but had you ever heard of the Alabama Three? Yeah, and I heard the song. I mean, that song that show
1: was so popular that um, you kind of couldn't escape at some point uh, hearing it and knowing the name of the band that did it. Um, so yeah, I was familiar at least uh from that and i felt like i had a sense of like what they sounded like i guess based on that song but like i don't know they were sort of familiar but i hadn't spent any time actively listening to them
2: gotcha i am same boat i i only knew that one song so and i don't even know that i really even recognized the name or knew what they sounded like otherwise um so i think i would get was, them
1: confused with is it Blind Boys of Alabama? Yes. Is that another group? Yeah. There's a lot of Alabama. Alabama shakes. Alabama. Like. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: It's 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 just a fun word. Really rolls off the tongue.
2: There's almost as many as that. Uh, buffaloes. Right. Right. Little history. Well, let's just talk about you know you had mentioned uh from Brixton formed in '95. Lot of members. Um, the band formed when Jake Black met Rob Sprague at a rave and they were into just a, a wide variety of music and they decided to fuse country music with Acid House, which sounds yes. like something you would come up at a rave. You're on a lot of ecstasy and you're feeling really good. Anything's possible and you're like, what if we put country music with acid house? And there yeah, you go. Yeah, you know
0: how there's like the uh, the cocaine business venture.
2: <laughs> exactly. Um. So they added a, a number of other members. Um, Nick Reynolds, uh, who joined the band, was <laughs> the son of one of the great train robbers. Uh, the great train robbery being a, uh, a train that was going from Glasgow to London in 1963 and it was robbed of 2.6 million pounds. And uh, he, he was in the band, his, this is the son. Um, hmm. They brought in uh, just a, basically a bunch of like friends like uh, Sprague was at school with a guy named Piers Marsh who played harmonica, but also could do synthesizer programming um and orlando harrison was brought in he was used to live with jake black and he ended up playing keyboards so their first name of the band was the first Pre- presbyterian church of elvis the divine
0: the, the first Presbyterian is as in presley
2: oh presley tyrion
0: yes of, of, of elvis the divine uk yes uh, and then they were sent i believe a cease and desist hence the name change
2: gotcha and this is their first record. They signed a one little Indian in '97. Released "Exile" on Cold Harbor, which is obviously a reference to "Exile" on Main Street by the Rolling Stones. Um, every member of the group has an alias, which I think we expect that from British bands. You have to have like, you aren't called like your name. If you if your name is like, for example, John Jennings, they called him Segs. I don't know why. <laughs> Or uh Robert Jassett was nicknamed hacker. Uh, I really hope he was like on on stage with a computer hacking things. <laughs> like he wasn't even really making music. He was just like, I'm gonna hack into the bank like.
0: Yeah the the core two founding members are Rob Sprague and Jake Black. Um, Rob Sprague's alias being, Larry Love and Jake Black. The late Jake Black, he passed away in 2019. His was the very Reverend D. Wayne Love.
2: Yes. uh, He passed away from Addison's disease uh, in May of 2019. um, Which is an endocrine disorder. Um, And uh, they released over Let me get the discography back up. I deleted that for some reason. For, so from 1997 to 2021, they have released uh, a number of albums for uh, One Little Indian and then um, Hostage Music. This is their debut we're talking about. Then they released La Paste or La Peste. Uh, or La Peste, I think, yeah. In, in uh, 2000, Power in the Blood in 2002, Last tr- Last Train to Mashville, Volume 2 in 2002 um outlaw in 2005 mor in 2007 revolver soul in 2010 there will be peace in the valley when we get keys to the mansion on the hill in 2011 shoplifting for jesus in 2011 yeah. the man from womble from in 2013 the women from womble in 2014 blues in 2016 and step 13 uh just came out last month didn't yes. know about that
0: it's a great album
2: did not know. Well, maybe you could review it for The Box. It just came out last month.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. Delighted.
2: Excellent. For those who don't know, we have a newsletter that goes out every week on the weekend. We put in a couple of new reviews from artists relevant to the podcast. To be 80s and 90s artists, uh, books, movies, and mostly music. Occasionally we get to books, but books are long and they take a long time to read. And uh albums are usually like 40 minutes, so and they have they have a lot of words. Right. A lot of words. Albums just usually have like a word on the cover and then like right. a band name. It's a lot less some words. Don't have, some don't have any on the cover. That's true. Like nineteen sixty five by the Afghan wigs. There's no uh there's no name or anything. You have no idea who that's by. It's by Astronaut Man. That's what that's
0: <laughs> <laughs> by Buzz Aldrin.
2: But, but there you yeah. go, that's Buzz Aldrin's debut album. Uh, so let's get into this record.
1: Do we, we cover why this album is uh cataloged under the band name
2: A3? Because on the cover, uh, it's it says A3, um, they're called A3 only in the United States. Because apparently there was going to be a potential legal conflict with Alabama, the band. Oh my! So goodness. they just called it A three. So in the UK they're called Alabama three, but in the United States they had to go with A A three. Yeah,
1: it's super confusing. If you try to find this record on like Apple Music and you search Alabama three, it does not
2: come up. You have to search for A three. We sincerely apologize for that, Jay.
0: Well, I, I think I think it might be it. a like a licensing thing in the United States for them.
2: Yep. Yep. Basically, they didn't want to anger Alabama. The band, not the state. Both, really. Understandable. Right. So uh, we did get some comments over at Patreon and uh, we'll get to the poll and the results of that when we uh, render our verdicts at the end of the show. But some comments, Gary Moran said, I assume Leonard Cohen did the Soprano song. Alabama 3 has a good sound, but all the chattering, all the chatting over the songs brings it down for me. Kyle Bittner said, that was a fun and unique listen. But like Gary's comment, there seemed to be a little too much talking and filler. A bit of restraint would have made this much better. That said, I thought Speed of of the Sound of Loneliness was a kick-ass tune. I also heard You Don't Dance to Techno many years ago, and I've been trying to find out who it's been ever since. Now I know. Better EP. Keith Badge, I'm pretty sure they listened to a lot of Black Grape while making this. I'm also pretty sure Everlast listened to this while making Whitey Ford Sings the Blues. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff on here, but it's one of those albums where I like parts of everything, but not all not all of very much. I respect the ambition, but it's just too much. Better EP. Darren Lehman said, a very interesting sound. Kind of like blues and funk mixed with electronic music, I wish... There were less talking parts. They definitely have the art of the groove working for them in most of their songs. Gavin said, "Single for me, I bought this, but never really gelled with it beyond the Soprano song. It's probably more me not trying hard enough." Well, at at least he's putting it back on himself. You know, you <laughs> got to look inward. Don't don't project your issues out. You gotta. You gotta I
0: appreciate the introspection. <laughs>
2: Stephen Miziski wrote a lot. He wrote three paragraphs: um, an introduction paragraph, an argument paragraph, and then an uh, outroduction <laughs> paragraph.
0: Thank uh, you, Stephen, for taking the time to uh, to listen and leave such a thoughtful comment.
2: Uh, each with five sentences. Each sen- each paragraph has an introduction sentence, three body sentences, and <laughs> then and then an, and then an uh, outro sentence, just like we were taught in grade school. Uh, so he, I, I'm going to paraphrase some of this down. Um, he said he, he compared him to Pr- Primal Scream who fr- frustrates him. He said he actually got more enjoyment out of this record than an album like Screamadelica. Oh, but wow. there's no one song here nearly as good as moving on up. So while the overall album worked for him, it didn't have a standout track. Um, but he said, I don't think that's, was their intention to write a big pop song. I'm looking forward to the review. Uh, Yeah, that should pretty much cover it. We'll cover some more of this stuff as we go through. Uh, He mentioned back and spiritualized, which I think are some good comparisons for bits and pieces of what's going on here. Jay, let me ask you. Tell me one thing you liked. And that's not really a question. It's just a statement. It's an order, actually. It's not a question. Uh, Jay, tell me one thing you liked about... Exile on Cold Harbor <laughs> Lane by the Alabama Three. Okay, um,
1: I, I didn't. I didn't expect when I went into this. I knew it was some kind of fusion of like uh, electronic music and either soul or blues or something. I didn't expect that well, a lot of these songs at their heart are very well written country songs, and it sort of hit me the second song in. Um, like oh shit! The, these are like legit country songs.
2: Can I interrupt for one moment, please?
1: Yeah, that's
0: John Prine. <laughs> that,
2: that's a John Prine song. Okay, well there There's you go. One cover, yes. There, obviously, John Prine's version doesn't sound like that.
0: One cover in and <laughs> infinite references. Yes.
2: Yes, that's the only it, cover. It, it helped me like start to
1: pay attention in a different way. <laughs> Trust that evil line today
0: I can't think about tomorrow I
1: ain't got a word to say So tell me now What in the world has come over me? What in the hell's name have I done? i broken the speed sound alone get kind of past the sheen of the production and the all the beats and loops and samples and talking and like all of the stuff that's very present on your first listen and start to dig into like the songs and um i was surprised by also not only the quality of some of the songwriting uh but i mean you, you've got banjo parts in here i don't know if they're samples or what they are but um uh, there's harmonica there's accordion there's like all of these other very traditional instruments that piano that come through uh that again ground them in this um you know when the songs settle in they're grounded in this very authentic uh sounding you know country songs uh which i i really thought was pretty pretty interesting and unexpected um it maybe you know want to hear somebody you know kind of play them more you know, straightforward or stripped down or other people cover them. Um, Cause I think, you know, there's a lot of choruses here that uh, I don't know that they're super hooky, but they're clever and, you know, well-executed. Um, I think lyrically there's, there's some stuff going on here. That's uh, pretty interesting too. Um, so, and it's not a, you know, it's country, but not in the typical country lyric, format, or at least not the modern country lyrics that you would expect. Uh, so I appreciated that. Uh, I think some of the electronic parts work pretty well. I think just the, having that propulsive beat or those heavy grooves uh, works pretty well with the um, the more you know traditional country or blues or folk oriented instruments. Um, I think one of the singers. I guess there's two singers. There's at least two vocals on here. Um, one of them has like a really kind of deeper, raspy voice. It reminded me a lot of Joe Strummer, uh, and it sort of was taking me to. Uh, yeah, that's that's material. Larry Love,
0: aka, or I should say Rob Sprague, aka Larry Love, is the sort of rougher, gravelly voiced yeah. one.
1: Yeah, I re- I really like that vocal a lot, and it it definitely gave kind of a signature sound to the band beyond just the kind of the format uh and it was taking me to yeah a lot of those um the joe Strummer solo stuff where it's kind of like this too where it's he's exploring more with like dance rhythms and but also combining that with you know traditional folk music or uh you know american country music and stuff like that so it it, it made me think of you know uh, an artist like that as well which i appreciated um it also took me to places weird like the night we nearly got busted there's Aspects of that that sound a little bit like dire straits. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of interesting. Like when they bring these parts together, it it hits moments here and there that um, are very familiar, but then also uh, pretty unique. So uh, yeah, those are some of the stuff that I liked.
0: Yeah, very collaged and, and recontextualized are so many of the elements that are in the production and in the songwriting.
2: Yep, yep. Uh, I really liked what's happening musically on this record. the The thing that caught my ear, obviously, is the combination of all the different instruments that are happening that are that don't seem like like you mentioned banjos and and uh, there's uh, all sorts of things you would think of in terms of blues and country styles that are occurring over techno beats. And what was interesting is that it, yeah, it has a sound of like, okay, this sounds like a nineties sort of, you know, trip hop, if you want to call it sound, even though it's a little bit more tempo than what I think of as trip hop, which would be like Portishead or a Massive Attack. But then I started thinking about stuff like, Sturgill Simpson's *Sound and Fury* album, where oh, it's yeah. got that like directin heavy guitar, but with these like dance beats underneath, and I was like, "Oh, this kind of makes more. This kind of makes sense now." Like I kind, I first I was listening to it, and I was like, "This doesn't. This doesn't make sense. It's all over the place, stylized, style wise." And then I started making that connection, um, and even like a song like *Sister Rosetta*, like. That's I my think,
0: favorite song on the
2: album. Uh, that to me, I feel like if you gave that to a modern alt country singer, whether it's a Sturgill Simpson or or somebody, I mean, even if you gave that to Casey Musgraves, I bet like they could t- do a cover of that song. And it has the the melody and the and the vibe of a lot of modern country, which is integrating pop elements into it. You know, I just saw uh, Brandi Carlisle on Cernette Live, and it's funny because she's she got booted from the Americana, um, like her album was not is not going to be nominated for a country award. For the I guess the Grammys, it's going into pop, and I was like, really? Like, I mean, I listened to it; <laughs> it sounded like country to me. Uh, but it, 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 you know, there is that element of of country integrating popular melodies, and 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 it's not relying on like twang and like you know Garth Brooks style '90s twang and that kind of stuff. Like, there's all these new sounds that are coming into it, especially on, on the, if we want to call it the alternative side. So I, I was hearing a lot of that and it was, it was interesting cause it, I'm not really a big country fan, but I do like dipping, excuse me, like dipping my toes into the
0: yeah I mean albums me, me, here and there. Me neither by and large. Um, the, the appeal to me of, of Alabama three is so, um, God, it's it's almost like cosmic and spiritual. Um, and at the risk of getting you know long-winded and and annoying and very sort of big picture, I kind of wanted to address um, a portion of Stephen's comment, which I think he made mention of. You know, it, it feels like there is a journey at work here. That there's like a you know a thread, um, and 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 a big picture concept. And and I think the key in Understanding what that concept is, which is to me just as like interesting and crucial as the the um, collage sort of stylizations and instrumentations. Um, so if you track, you know, these themes from the beginning of the record to the end, the motifs that keep cropping up, these are all songs that are about being disconnected, alienated. Um, sometimes addicted, succumbing to these sicknesses, which in the band's estimation, and this is something that, you know, you can't really leave out at all when you're talking about Alabama three, are produced or exacerbated by capitalism. And so this this record is about looking for some kind of salvation from those sicknesses. and, And it's very much situated within the neighborhood. That produced it. So I like I really want to contextualize the album as being, you know, a a spiritual journey anchored in the band's direct experience of and their observations of a late 90s post-Thatcher Britain and um, the streets of their hometown in Brixton, which at at the time at least was quite diverse, predominantly working class. Um, It's changed a little bit since I was last there, I, I think, in 2019. But, you know, so this is this is about these people in their community, that they're working with, uh, living with, drinking with, clubbing with, experiencing joy and and suffering with, and and the question is like, what are what are they looking for when they take to the streets at night on a weekend? What's their escape? Um, what are they medicating with? And I I think there's a campiness and a humor and certainly a provocation in how the band is posing their questions and 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 how they're answering them right with like the. The Reverend D. Wayne Love speaking to Larry Love, speaking to you, the listener from this imaginary pulpit, you know, all those spoken word elements. That's what, you know, the intent is there. The affectation he's he's preaching to you. Um, but the subject matter itself is actually quite serious and and quite existential, which is what leads me to what I find so incredibly fascinating and irresistible about them. Thematically, not just this album, but like the whole ethos of the band they're hitting on this intersection, which has fascinated me for forever, and that is the overlap, if there is one, that exists among the experience of music, um, the experience of the spiritual or the faithful, and uh, and the experience of intoxication. If if you're if you're looking to fill a yearning in your soul, what qualitatively, uh, subjectively differentiates amongst those sensations of of relief or of ecstasy and I mean like literally the physical bodily sensation because at the end of the day that's how all of this is mediated. We're all impulse driven animals with this with these voracious appetites where we ourselves are food for worms, as the Reverend D. Wayne love reminds us. and it doesn't matter whether you're uh, speaking in tongues or moving to the beat or getting fucked up. If you're in a Pentecostal church and you feel that the Holy Spirit has entered you, if you're at a concert or a dance club, and you're overcome by this communal rapture, if you're um, blitzed out of your mind on a few tabs of acid and you're watching like the gears of the universe move, um, even when you're seeking the sublime, the infinite, you're always doing so within the context of this like human physicality, this sensory filter. And we're so often feeding our emotional and existential hunger in the same ways that we are any other biological need. And lyrically, there's this constant like... Um, Blurring of the lines between these religious, spiritual needs and um, like physiological, hedonistic ones, like with withdrawal, uh, jonesing for a hit. They're talking about shooting up love and socialism and spiritual salvation through a hypodermic needle. Um, the Reverend D. Wayne is a fictional preacher of the First Presbyterian Church of Elvis the Divine, UK, but he's also a band leader and a DJ. So, so I think like the the grand abstract subject that this record is exploring or at least the one that I personally keyed in on as an outsider, as this millennial New Yorker and ocean away is, is where does that lead us? How do those impulses steer us to fulfillment? And um, how can they potentially lead us astray? Like what's the beauty and promise in that questing? It's, it's how you get blues and gospel and jazz and rock and roll and dance music, you know, the, the, the best forms of art that exist, or at least in my opinion, they are. All, you know, all these references that are littered across the album or, or across those genres. And then also, what's the danger too? how do you get alcoholics and addicts, uh, charlatans and demagogues and cultists, for instance, like like Jim Jones, who's who's sampled extensively across the record. And, and this was a guy whose socialist politics uh, and ideals, they were legitimate. And those, at one point in those politics are 100 percent sincerely shared by the band. And I think that the sinister irony of that is like precisely why it's there. They're not exempt, exempting themselves from their own analysis and, and, and the caricatures that they're employing, this like American pop culture iconography is reflected through uh, the, the Alabama Three British funhouse mirror, you know, the affecting these, these personas, the, the, the fumbling American accents, which are really pretty bad, but like in a good, funny way. It's it's almost like they're deliberately making themselves ridiculous so as to also bring themselves back down to earth, um, demonstrate that they're one of us, that they're as like caught up in that spell as we are. And and to me, it's genius. I mean, I I I think they are so outrageously clever and keen and penetrating. They are the biggest music fans you'll ever meet, just like me, just like you guys, everybody who's listening to this podcast. And that that genius. Uh, assessment may not be universally shared by the dig me out union, but um, I do want anyone who listens to the album to come away with that sense of context, what it is that they're trying to do. It's very ambitious. It's the same um, like euphoric hybridization, sometimes appropriation that characterizes the evolution of rock and roll here and across the pond, this like incredible Frankenstein monster that is contemporary popular music. Yes. It's exile on main street, is exile on Main Street with a lacerating self-awareness, like a a meta-awareness. And I can't think of a single other artist or musician who is trying to do what Alabama 3 is doing in the the exact specific way that they're doing it, which is to not just like go backwards and forwards in time or blend genres, which, you know, you could just as easily get out of a spiritualized or a primal scream. And I know Stephen mentioned Screamadelica, but to my mind, like the, the obvious analog, at least in terms of motivation is give out, but don't give up you know, the, the, the um, fetishization of, of American rock and roll. But, but are those bands also turning such a brutal, critical gaze toward themselves and their listeners? Are they hitting you in the face with that like encyclopedic depth of historical analysis? No, or at least I don't think so. And well, I mean, when they released their new album earlier this month, uh, the, the email I got, and I have the quote in front of me, it's a, it's a bit of the press release. And this says so much, which is why I wanted to, to read it off. Alabama three have always been the ungrateful dead committed to walking the earth, half alive, zombified, and desperately seeking another hit. We've been digging up the graves of black musicians for years, stealing their bones and calling it rock and roll and selling it back to the masses through a white empiricist filter. That is a lot. I know it's like pretentious. And even though I hate that word, but I guarantee all of that underneath the bone dry, taking the piss British, skewering humor it's their their love affair with american music and american culture and they are such smart and well-read guys with this boundless consuming love for all these diverse forms of music and an understanding of what links those forms together a historical consciousness of it and so if that doesn't sell you on the band if i failed right there um (laughs) and I, I'm just hoping that everyone who commented with like, oh, you know, the spoken word elements, I, I wish there were, there was less of that. And, you know, it, 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 it just doesn't feel like uh, the, the whole it, the whole thing is not selling me on the band. I'm begging you to go back and listen with that, like perspective in mind, because it's so far removed from what we're used to listening to, um, at, at least as predominantly American Dig Me Out union members.
1: Well, Mic sorry, I, I, wish I, would, I, I wish I would, I wish we would have, uh, I would have heard that before I listened to the record. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now you can go back and listen to it again. Um, and from that, uh, from that angle, but yeah, there, there are a bunch of like really provocative, um, intelligent, funny uh, drug using commies. And you yeah. know, that I, I like flew out to see them in Brixton in December of 2019 because they were, they were doing this album in full and they have zero, zero market in the United States. They're never going to come here beyond that. I get the sense that they're sort of like persona non grata. I don't know if there was like, I don't know some kind of legal issue or something, but like long story short at, at one point during that concert, I was jumping up and down screaming along to Mao Tse Tung said, change must come change must come through the barrel of a gun while saluting like projections of Mao they made everybody do the communist salute like 5,000 people in the south of London and I thought to myself because at the time this was you know when Trump was president this would not fly this would not fly in the United States this is very um, cheeky and and a little dangerous
2: well I, I just want to go back and touch on one thing that you said uh, among a couple things but in terms of them, recognizing the uh, appropriation of black music. I mean, especially British musicians have been doing that. I mean, we're going back to the, the, before the Beatles and the Stones. I mean, you know what I mean? Like um, American blues and country has always been a huge influence on British. It's as interesting to them because it's a foreign thing as Americans looking out at you know these crazy Gallagher brothers
0: yeah at England exactly that was also something I wanted to mention because as a teenager you know MTV True Life I was a teenage Tia total total Anglephile you know was fascinated by everything British culture is my favorite band was The Who I was really into all these these second wave British import cover of the NME bands I used to go around the corner during my my lunch break when I was in, in high school and buy all the like fifteen dollar magazines and they were fifteen bucks because of the import taxes and everything to to see who was in Q, who was in the NME, mm-hmm. who was in uncut. And um it it's they, they it, it's like having the the the, the microscope turned around or, or the telescope turned around at at back at me and and what are, you know, what do Brits see about American culture um, when when they look at us. And I, I think in Alabama three's case, there is a a fascination and an affection and also um, maybe a little bit of fear and which is present in the uh, I think the sampling of, you know, Cultists like Jim Jones, which the, the the sampling of Jim Jones speeches that occurs throughout the album. I got my calls, I got I got guns, I got, dynamite, I got a hell of a- How do Americans fall for these?
2: We are tops? good at falling for uh, for megalomaniac cult uh, leaders. Yeah, <clears throat> not that other countries haven't either, but uh, we seem to be especially. Uh, yeah,
0: it's it's funny because I when I think I read something about you know when they named the band why did you name it Alabama Three they said something that was to the effect of well, we we wanted to escape you know British flag-waving jingoism as if there's any shortage of American flag-waving jingoism <laughs> over here.
1: Right. But
0: I guess the, you know what they say, the flag-waving jingoism is always greener.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know if they drive around in their pickup trucks with giant uh, American flags while they're rolling coal over in right. Uh, right. in the UK. Uh, but I, I want to talk about, I definitely got the vibe... You know, I, I I didn't know what the title was or title meant, and then I read in Wikipedia it said that Coal Harbor Lane is a major street in Brixton, South London, best known for containing several after-hours clubs and not a few drug dealers. And I mean, <laughs> and, and that's what this this album sounds like, late night, walking down the street. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of shady people, it's characters, it's... it's ideas it's restaurants that are you know off the beaten path clubs that are off the beaten path like this that's what this has a whole like there's a whole world to me about what this record is in terms of the sounds that it creates it almost in some ways because you're hearing trip hop and then country and 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 blues it almost sounds like you are on the street and hearing one club And then also hearing another club and they're sort of hitting at the same time. And it's kind of creating this weird mashup, but it's actually all one thing. And that to me is what makes this compelling is that you don't you don't hear that um, very often. I mean, these are just this is just an interesting sound that nobody else has really messed around with in such a specific way. You know, it it was mentioned about in the comments about like Everlast putting an acoustic guitar over a drum beat, which isn't exactly original, but <clears throat> you can. Uh, what I what I heard was in in very small doses, and and I I know we bring this up a lot, but um, I wonder if Greg Dooley heard this record.
0: I, okay, so you may, I, I posted it in the Discord because this was something I noticed when watching these music videos. And the resemblance is uncanny. I took these, these mirroring screenshots of the, the music video for Ain't Going A Goa, which came out the year before the music video for Honky's Ladder, which is the Afghan Wig song. And the, um, preacher imagery the congregation imagery they are practically mirror images in some spots and i also had to wonder and i should probably just ask him greg have you heard of the alabama three do you like the alabama three do you listen to them enjoy them
2: well i definitely heard it in terms of the twilight singers like and even in that like more so in that first record where you can hear you know obviously he was dabbling with electronic beats and acoustic guitars and some stuff that when I was, it's not in all of this record and obviously it's going to be a lot of different influences of what's going into that, but there were just aspects of this record that maybe go, Hmm, I wonder if he listened to this, you know, and it just stuck with him in, in, in an interesting way and then was working on stuff with, you know, happy and Sean on that first, because I don't know how far far back the recording and writing for that Twilight Singers right. record goes. Um, I don't know if that was years in the making or if they'd started working on that in like 98 or 97 or whatever. Um,
0: I'm pretty sure that there is overlap between the final Wigs records and the first of the Twilight Singers record, records. Right.
2: Well, records. it wasn't the, the Twilight Singers record. The first one's on Columbia because it was like a package deal to get um this the wigs to go to columbia right
0: i think so yes right i think so
2: um but anyway that that just occurred to me like there was a little bit and i, I was hearing a lot of weird things like i was hearing like dr john on some of this like <laughs> i wonder what if dr john worked with massive attack what would that sound like well, it would sound like this <laughs> um so jay what doesn't work for you on the record?
1: Well, I'll echo some of Steven's comments, (laughs) but I'm just speaking from like, you know, giving it whatever, eight listens and taking notes and trying to figure out what I'm listening to. There's the, the spoken stuff for me is a barrier. Like it, you know, and it's like two minutes on the front of almost every song of, uh, and it takes a while to pull it apart. Like, why are they talking in these weird accents? What are these accents? Like, why is this guy's voice so weird? They're what British. Is he saying?
2: It's they're British it, people. Well, not
1: only that, not, it is. They're it not, is, not doing I'm, British accents. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
0: It's a Welsh <laughs> so like, guy and a guy from Glasgow trying to do American accents, and the result I, is a little bizarre.
1: I'm just i'm so distracted by that at first like my first two or three listens through it right Am I, i'm just like spending two minutes on every song thinking about like is he trying to sound like you know a black guy from the south or like what is this his real voice like what is going on like i and then and then it's like okay what are they saying and then they start inter interspersing um samples which then i don't know what the samples are so so i'm like Should I know what the sample is? What are they talking? You know, so there's just a lot of information, um, before every song, then you get to the song and I feel like that's where I start to connect to like, Oh, I get what this band is doing. And I can hear that they genuinely understand the, the genres that they're, you know, they're reflecting and they're playing with. It's not just like hacking their way through it. Like I'm hearing a confidence and like a true appreciation for that. Um, so I, I, I'm i with him on that aspect. It's just a barrier. It's, it's a difficult aspect of this record to get through. Um, and it makes the songs longer. Um, so, you know, if it was like interspersed, maybe a couple songs did that, but like you just go through and you're like, oh my gosh, okay. Another two minutes of setup. Then I start to get, as I get through it a couple more times and start absorbing it, then I start to think about like, well, is there a concept here? Because there's a lot of interludes and there's a lot of like, I start to pick up on some of the political lyrics. So then I'm, you know, starting to wade through like, okay, what, is this ironic? Is it yes, not? And sincere? Is, is it comedy? Is it like, so to get to unpack all of that, you know, let's say, I, I don't know for sure, but it was somewhere around, let's say somewhere between six and 10 listens of the record. Like, I'm still unpacking all this. So, as you're telling me, like, sort of all the backstory and what's going on here, it all is making sense now. But just going through as a listener and not looking at Wikipedia, just listening to the record, looking at the album cover that's available on streaming, it's just a lot of information to make your way through. And it takes many, for me, it would take many, many listens to get to that point.
0: Yeah. And it took so I, me a lot of research to get to that point because again, like the, there is no context, right? I, I am, yeah. I am, and, and I would love to be proven wrong here because I am, I am so lonely. I'm so lonely. I'm, I'm convinced <laughs> that, that I am the only American fan who is obsessively dissecting this album from the only British band doing American music in this particular way, this, this very yeah. idiosyncratic way. Um, like I am representing their slim to non existent fan base on the side of the pond and and to try and and transpose my my ears and my soul 3000 miles away to Brixton I mean that that's part of the reason I went out there is is I wanted to to meet the people who were involved in the making of the, I met the guy who's like screaming on on the cover of the record he's like still friends with the band going to all the shows this this is this is very much like a, a community Uh, album. This is a for us by us album. And so it is in many ways impossible to fully understand and embrace without like having your feet on the ground in Cold Harbor Lane.
2: Were there a lot of drug dealers out? (laughs) Um,
0: I was definitely yelled at by like the new friends that I had made that night for walking around really late at night after the, they they were like, you, if you want to go to the after party, we're walking you, you are not going there alone. You could, I mean, because I'm like, not only am I stupid, a a stupid American, I'm, I'm a, a stupid New Yorker. Right. And I assume like every major city like New York city at this point is Disneyland and can't possibly do me any harm or anything <laughs> um but they were like yeah you, you you can't just go traipsing around brixton late at night you know they were like calling me to make sure i got back to my hotel safely i was very much the um the novelty american the token american at that show uh and amongst that group of people it was sort of like every time i opened my mouth somebody would be like whoa what are you doing here
2: what what size venue like what was where did you see them at
0: so they were at the Brixton O2, which is their home turf, and that's a, that was a 5,000-person venue, um, which to me is huge, right, because the venues that I typically see shows at range from anywhere from 120 people to uh, probably a 1,000, and it, uh, it, it was a gorgeous building, and it just shocked me. When I turned around because, you know, I was front row center right up against the barricade to see 5000 Alabama three fans. I'd never met one ever in my life ever. And to just be surrounded by people who were who were on my wavelength. And, and not only that, but like people whose whole attitude toward toward going to shows was on my wavelength um, because I, I tend to get really into it. I'm usually like jumping around, singing, dancing like a maniac and, and these guys were matching me uh, measure for measure. I was drinking beer out of a, I, I don't know how large it was, but it was roughly the volumetric equivalent of a 7-Eleven Big Gulp, like that much beer. They will sell you in one sitting. Meanwhile, in parts of the tri-state, they, uh, they give me shit if I try to order a Vodka Rocks and a tacate alone at the bar because, oh, no, it's two drinks. Can't give you two drinks in one go. Fucking Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh How early did you have to get there to be right up against the. uh, the...
0: Not very early at all, because um, no one's as psychotic as I am, I think, in that regard. I I wound up like showing up at doors and was. front. Initially, I had lined up a couple hours ahead of time. But this like aging British punk rocker who had wandered down from Yorkshire saw me. And was like, what are you doing lining up? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I I, I flew in uh, the red eye from, from New York and I got in at Heathrow this morning and I crashed for a nap. And then I I came to the get, uh, the, the venue to, to line up and he was like, holy shit, I'm taking you for a beer right now. And like that led to this whole crazy tangent. Um, but I, I did eventually make it back to uh, the Brixton O2 and it was a phenomenal incredible show, even though, um, I had, I had like just recovered from food poisoning the week before, like food poisoning so bad that I was in the hospital for eight hours. So I was still a little wobbly, but, um, it was one for the books.
2: Jay, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I, sometimes I get distracted by the, everybody's mentioned it, the, the introduction parts where there's talking, um, It's not that I don't think that they work. I just wish that maybe they were like their own separate thing where I could maybe then just like kind of make my own mix. Uh, Sort of like in a a hip hop album from the 90s when there are skits and I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to delete all the skits (laughs) out from that. Um, Because just in in general, like if I'm listening to music, I don't want to listen to like talking is distracting.
0: Right. I, my recommendation to you, um, and this would be my recommendation to anyone who sort of had a little bit of difficulty um, getting in the headspace or, or accepting the um, the aim, the the effect of these spoken word bits uh, of sort of letting that I don't know absorb and just let go and let God, so to speak. Listen to Hits and Exit Wounds, which it it, it is on Spotify. It's their sort of greatest hits compilation. And it really does have all the best songs. It's got the single best Alabama 3 song on there, which is Up Above My Head. Um, Another reference built in there. But um, I I think that that will be infinitely more digestible to people who are sort of put off by that aspect of the album.
2: Okay. That makes sense to me. I I think I can digest it better. Not that I I mean, in in certain disciplines, respects it doesn't bother me that much um but like wake up this morning i knew that song so i'm like waiting for it to start waiting for it to start and it's like two minutes before we actually get to the point where it's like woke up this and i'm like okay now we're into the song okay and i don't mind if those like samples happen mid-song or if even if there's like a breakdown and there's some talking like that's but if it's going to be up up front like, OK, you got to give me a, like some sort of break here.
0: What did you think, at least of the portion at the end? That's the one that's sort of like uh, woke up this morning. Everything was gone by half past ten. your head was going ding dong, ringing like a bell, yada, yada, yada. Was that like because that was that was almost more of like a rap than an intro.
2: It, it was fine. I mean, it sounded like um, like a very stoned Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> Like more, more, than, more than normally stoned. <laughs> he does sound. Like a it's kind of nasally like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How can you sound like a more stoned Snoop Dogg?
2: I don't like. Like he he overdid it. Like he yeah. he he got the really good Kush and he didn't realize it, and uh, he thought he was just on the normal stuff. Uh, yeah, I just dropped a, a, a it, slang.
0: I I feel like it's um you know maybe the accent and the persona can can obscure. What if, if you just listen to um, like the the actual text itself, or, or, or just just the content, um, the, the the portion of it that's like, um, don't you ever want to know the meaning of things as they appear to the others—wives, husbands, mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers? Don't you wish you didn't function? Don't you wish you didn't think beyond the next paycheck and the next little drink? Like that is potent that that is about like what life is like for so many people not just in Brixton but in the United States where we are living paycheck to paycheck yeah um, but
2: you know what Americans don't like to listen to that that's true Amer- all uh, Americans like aspirational yeah they want the uh, they even they want their pop music to be Horatio Alger <laughs> you know what I mean like it, unless you're gonna it's gonna be about like love gone wrong or something like that for a ballad, but, uh, there's very
0: little that's, that's aspirational about, you know, and now I'm going to be food for worms, you know, so long, Eric, so long, you you know, it's, 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 it's a practically, uh, you know, a dirge, like it's, it's a eulogy. It's a, I'm, I'm about to die. Here's all the things I love. Farewell, you know?
2: (laughs) And, and I, when I was listening to this, you know, an American band that came to mind was um, Fun Loving Criminals, but they have a a much more simplistic take on it. And which uh, DX Ferris is gonna if he hears that he's gonna yell at me because he loves that band. <laughs> um, but like they're goofy, and this band is not goofy in that sense? Not in the sense that like they're not just trying to make people you know smile. They're might also trying to make people think. Mm-hmm and you know that's hard to do there aren't i mean definitely not in the 2000s i mean that seemed to go away you know we all joked in the 2000s about when is rage the machine rage against the machine going to reunite and and do something and then they never really did and that was sort of the last band that gained a mainstream audience by being counterculture or being you know aggressively uh critical of american society and and american government and but
0: and and still you would have people who just insisted on misunderstanding it yes
2: like paul ryan
0: yeah (laughs) yeah there is no there at least there is no misunderstanding alabama three change must come change must come through the barrel of a gun
2: (laughs) right this is much more in line with like dylan Yep. And and that aspect of American music, which is of a very particular time, obviously, the 1960s with regards to lyrical content that is not at all approached. In and any at, way, in the last the 25 time, years,
0: they are the first to eviscerate the the 60s, the first to eviscerate the sort of false promise of rock music, of protest music, as um, you know, any any kind of actual savior, um, as as, um, as as leading people to uh, reconsidering their circumstances, to to uh, taking up guns against their opp- uh, oppressors or whatever it may be. They uh, there's a line in Up Above My Head. Um, you took the call from the counterculture. Could you build a barricade tonight? Could you do it? And a lot of their songwriting beyond this album is sort of focused around the, these are the songs that produced us, that we love, that make us who we are. They were also a bit of a fucking lie.
2: Right. Yeah, because then they all sold out for
0: exactly. whatever. Exactly. Yeah, they're all rich in their mansions on the hill. And uh, how long are we going to wait until we get the keys to the mansion on the hill? The meek ain't going to inherit shit.
2: So why do you think this band? I mean, they got lucky in a certain sense with The Sopranos, but is it a matter of culture? You know, just not translating to America an American audience. Why they didn't catch on here in any way? Because I think of like, you know, the comparison or the or the description is you know acid house trip hop country. Well. Trip hop had its like minor moments here in this. Like people got into Portishead in the '90s. I mean, when did Live in New York City come out? That that album that must have been like '96 or '97. Not I, right around the same time as this. Um, you know, those artists had minor moments, um, mostly with like college radio and and stuff like that. This isn't that far off, but. Like you said, like you might be the only (laughs) hardcore.
0: And like I said, please prove me wrong. Somebody, please. I I really do hope that I get like emails or something after this podcast.
2: Is it a lyrical thing? Is it a like, what is, what do you think is the the thing that holds
0: them back here? I do think that both the philosophical and contextual barriers to entry um, are pretty high. And I think in terms of just what uh, uh, American listeners are looking to when they are looking for the collaged Frankenstein mixture of genres that characterizes so much of, of pop music, of, of, of rock music, they're not looking for this specifically. Um, and, and I wish I, I could pinpoint uh, I- exactly those, um, I guess, sort of tripping points that that people can't quite get over. I mean, it's pretty obvious to me. that I think like the spoken word stuff I- is a thing that, that's putting off to American listeners. I don't know how it falls upon um, British audiences, comparatively speaking. Uh, if if it's that's just something that that people across the pond are more open to in general, but but I think that the also the humor a little bit of the humor is, is lost um, on American listeners and they're just, they're such a paradoxical band. I mean, I mean, as, as ironic as they are, they are also devastatingly sincere um, as, as uh, sort of biting and menacing as they are. Um, they are also very much in love with the kind of music that they are manipulating and um repurposing. And I I really do do just think fundamentally it, it is a British and American cultural disconnect. It's a lot easier to bridge that gap with an oasis, with with a band that's that's piggybacking off of a, a previously established uh British invasion, that that style that was accepted by American listeners. I think this is just a little too aggressively, unrepentantly weird and not in the ways that americans are looking for
2: right i mean i was trying to think of comparisons because every once in a while a song breaks through the united states that is like suzanne vega like she'll you know her single is a weird song if you if you think about it in comparison to like what else is popular
0: yeah, d- there and, have definitely you... been some like weird breakthrough. Like, for instance, I never and we talked about this on another episode that I was on. which How the fuck did Muse get to be so big in the United States? I never would have seen that coming because they're just so uh, they're they're a lot to take. <laughs>
2: because Americans liked Radiohead when they did Just and... um You know, that album and Muse kind of sounded like Radiohead Circa the Benz when they started with
0: with a bit more, you know, also bombast and and Radiohead didn't want to do
2: that anymore. So they they were like, well, that's our new Radiohead. Yeah. And we have we have that. And then we have Coldplay doing the fake plastic trees version of Radiohead with yellow. And (laughs) so now we've got two Radioheads. Yeah. And that's why those two bands became gigantic. That's that's my very. Uh, loose uh, explanation of why. I mean, you never know. You never know what's going to hit and why it's going to do that. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, there are always like weird songs that pop into the mainstream. Crash Test Dummies. You, you never know. And so like, is it possible one of these songs could have done it? Maybe in 97. I mean, 97 was a weird time it could have happened uh but for whatever yeah, I mean, reason it know, just didn't of, oh, they also they was... were on one little indian which is not a big label
0: true i i think you know a, a lot of this stuff comes down to right place right time or wrong place wrong time wrong marketing you know it's like right. my question of why didn't why didn't fastball blow up um there there are so many variables that enter into uh whether a band makes it big or not that have nothing to do, you know, with the actual like meritocratic value of the songwriting.
1: If you're talking about this particular album, I mean, these, these would all be need to be edited. Like it could wake up, woke up this morning, been a hit outside of the TV show. Yeah. You got to cut off the first two minutes of the song.
0: It would have to be the remixed version. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, the Holland Wolf has a credit for that song. I'm saying, I'm assuming because of the sample.
0: Yes. Yeah. There, there, uh, there are a few that are sample. Most of the samples aren't um, direct except unless it's like the Jim Jones stuff. Um, A a lot of it are, are, are just these sort of references um, imagerial references, ideological references. Um, I mean, the, the closing song is a uh, that that was a, Thomas Dorsey song written for Mahalia Jackson that was covered by Elvis Presley uh, Peace in the Valley
2: and He don't know If he's a communist A, a
1: too much time Riding on a-
0: Because um, if if I'm remembering correctly, Thomas Dorsey, who is the the inventor of gospel music, basically, um, had this profound struggle with what he felt was his like um, calling to God, his his religious duty and um, the music that he was making, the the, the popular form of music that he was making, which which was um, which he felt to be in conflict With that duty, and of course, there's the sister Rosetta. There's uh, Elvis Presley everywhere, Hank Williams, um, and yeah, the spoken word intro to "Woke Up This Morning" name drops like basically the the entire uh, catalog of um, you know blues and jazz and gospel, and that's what I meant when I was sort of bringing up the the historical consciousness that's that's being displayed. I, I as I have gotten older, my interest in rock music has gone from just like strictly the '90s, '2000s, uh, '60s, '70s guitar bands, you know, the, the stuff that I grew up with, to trying to understand how did this stuff actually evolve and emerge piece by piece. What are what are the um, what what is the taxonomic tree like? The, like the cladogram that leads from the initial you know, Big Bang or series of Big Bangs from, from blues and, and jazz and ragtime all the way to rock and roll and dance music? What do those things have in common? How did, how did they emerge? And I think that that is an interest that um, fixates the band as much as it does me, which is um, the, the big reason that once that, 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 um, those questions began interesting me, the, the band finally gelled for me after that initial exposure where it didn't, didn't take.
2: You've given us a lot. We
1: have have the uh, American expert on Alabama three on this podcast.
2: (laughs) Yes. Oh
0: my God. I really hope so. Yeah. Like my, my reputation and my honor is on the line here. (laughs) I really hope that like Larry love, I, 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 I hope he listens to this because I want that guy to be like, yeah, that, that, that weird chick (laughs) from New York, she gets it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> who flew all the way to brixton to
0: <laughs> and i'm gonna do it again in april god willing oh wow yeah hopefully spend a little more time there than a grand total of 36 hours because that that was tough
2: oh my god with that like jet lag and stuff too
0: yeah and recovering from food poisoning it was um it, that that was some real devotion there man larry if you if you're listening to this i love you so much please talk to me
2: (laughs) uh okay we've we've got to do it now you know what time it is we've got to cast our final vote uh our uh decide whether it's a worthy album A better EP or a decent single. We'll release the poll results results from uh, Patreon. But uh, Jay, I'm going to go to you first. Where do you land? I'm landing
1: at an EP. I like most of the songs. It's just I like, you know, four minutes of the six minutes of the songs. Uh, There's a couple on here. Like I don't, you don't dance to techno anymore. That's a little too campy for me um and yeah so there's a couple songs in here that just go a little too far um and and, in the in the camp route that i don't love but they're okay they're well written uh it's mostly just these intros um occasional outros that uh make it a difficult full album for me so i'm gonna go with an ep um and probably trim these up and drop a couple songs
2: I felt I, I heard the pain through from uh from Marissa.
0: <laughs> no, on the contrary, I was so you know, because because I know that the the uh culture shock is so immense for this band that like I was I was honestly expecting it to be panned across the board. I'm delighted by the lukewarm response. <laughs>
2: Pleasantly well, I'm surprised. I'm also going to go with an EP, but not because I'm lukewarm on it, but because I'm just it just it in terms of what I want to be listening to, it doesn't hit everything the way I want it to hit. If that makes sense, like I just don't want to hear as much intro talking up this
0: morning. Everything was gone by half past it, Yeah.
2: I just want to get to the songs in a lot of the spots. So in in, in reality, there aren't really a lot of songs I would cut. I would just be trimming the heck out of these tracks. Um, It's a 60 minute album on 12 tracks. I mean, I would probably cut at least 15 minutes of of this. I think this would be an awesome 45 minute album. It would be tight. But I understand from an artistic standpoint, that they're doing something very specific and, and unique to them. But as someone who sometimes I just want to get to the song uh, and hear the melody and hear the, the instruments, you know, the the instrumental aspect of it and, and that kind of stuff. It just, uh, it doesn't work for me as well, but I'm, I'm definitely interested to check out that greatest hits with the radio versions I guess you'd say of it because I, I like woke up this morning as the Sopranos version. Yeah, I think and it's the a Sopranos
0: great... version is what's on hits and exit wounds. Yeah, I I, I think that for anyone who uh, who was having doubts about that that aspect of the record, go listen to hits and exit wounds, and and you might find the the um, uh, the 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 American audience tailored. Uh, version of this album plus, you know, bits and bobs from everywhere else. That that's really fantastic. I, th- I think, um, I think the dig me out union will get a lot more from hits and exit wounds or even like La Peste and some of the other later records, step 13, uh, blues. I think that that will be, uh, more accessible to, to everyone else. I, I just had to pick this one because to me, it's the, it's the Alabama three magnum opus.
2: Um, before we go to your, uh, your, uh, vote or or rating uh you mentioned that the guy who's screaming on the cover was at the show you were at was the guy with the snake around his head and in his mouth on the cover was he also at the show
0: um if he was i didn't meet him
2: (laughs) okay darn it all right without further ado go ahead and, and tell us where the album
0: Yes, it is not only to me is it is it a worthy album, it is an exemplary album, it is a superlative album and um, I'm so grateful that I was fortunate to rediscover it exactly when I needed it.
2: Well, the poll results from Patreon they were mixed. Uh, worthy album 30% better EP 60%, decent single, 10%. Now, we know that it was Gavin was the single. Mm-hmm. So even though a bunch of people mentioned that uh, you know, they were better EP, I think all of them had positive comments. This wasn't like a, uh, I, I didn't get this. I'm, I'm interested because uh, the poll that just happened uh, with Polvo, A lot of people are like really frustrated that that band, like how (laughs) did this band win? I don't understand. Well, nothing
0: can possibly be as contentious as the uh, Billy Idol versus um, (laughs) everything else poll. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
2: But I've just, it's been funny to read the discord comments about polvo where there's no melody, there's no songs. It's just dissonance. And, uh, and I'm like, well, now I'm really interested to hear this because I only know, like, one Polvo song or one or two songs, and it's from, like, their their 2000s album, which I liked, so... And I'm always amazed when people are like, how'd this win? I'm like, well, there's, like, 60 people that are voting, and they don't all comment.
0: Yeah, and a lot of them also just sort of swoop in at the back end, like, right before the poll's gonna end, and the next thing you know, the whole thing is swung in another direction.
2: (laughs) So, uh... So w- what I'm saying is um, I think you, I think you won some people over with this. I certainly and, hope so. And people are, are going to check it out and maybe check out other albums by the band. This was very cool. <laughs> I think uh, in terms of what we charter this show what the mission statement of the show is this is definitely a nineties album that we would have not found on our own. And, uh, definitely brings something completely new to the table. I mean, acid country house, gospel music, uh, as, as, you don't uh, don't get that every day. (laughs) No. Well,
1: and, and, and had we found it, Tim and I, our review would have been what it is, which is not as nearly as informed as having you on. Exactly. It would have been kind of dumb. Like we don't get it. (laughs) Like we get (laughs) these parts. There's these other parts we don't get. And then we've gotten so much more by having you on. So thank you. Yes.
0: Thank you. It has been a pleasure.
2: All right, I want to remind our audience if you uh, would like to join our little union and help it grow, you can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com, become a union member, vote in the polls for albums, vote in the polls for uh, suggested reviews. You get access to exclusive 80s episodes like the one that just went up. The Angels live line. We reviewed a very long live album. Just went live uh, last week. And uh, every other month we have an 80s episode that goes up. And the next... How long was that... uh Album, 300 songs. It was originally 24 songs, and then there was a re-release, which we also talked about the extra songs a little bit, 34 songs, and then you reviewed an extra song, bonus song, <laughs> to take it to 35 songs. These were not Bob Pollard one-minute-long songs. These were four-minute-long rockers. Great album, double album, box set, whatever you want to call it, but uh, way more than we bargained for. But that's a bonus episode,
1: right? Yes. we're not we're not just uh, checking a box here with these bonus episodes. We're no. reviewing 35 song albums, whole box sets.
2: Yeah, next we're gonna go through uh, Bruce Springsteen's tracks because <laughs> uh, we got time. Uh, also, don't forget that if you uh, join the union, you get access to the box newsletter, which you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com. It goes to your inbox every week new reviews mentioned it earlier 80s and albums 80s and 90s albums books movies even tv shows uh maybe maybe we'll do um i don't know nfts we'll review nfts
0: oh god forbid
2: stuff i'm sure i'm sure dave grohl will release an nft album soon we'll have to review that uh also want to remind people that uh Dig Me Out Podcast, you go to there for the box newsletter. It's also where you go to Suggest an Album at uh, the Suggest an Album form. You just drop your album in there, your, name, your band name, album name, why you're suggesting it, and we'll throw it into a poll <laughs> down the road. We got lots of albums to uh, throw into those polls. And then lastly, Apple Podcasts. If you like what you heard and what you're hearing, uh, feel free to uh, leave us a positive review over at uh, the Apple Podcasts. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode. Dig me out. And hey, you don't dance techno anymore. I don't see you under the strobe light on the day.